Okay, we are in uh, lesson six, and I think we <clears throat> we kind of gone through and uh, talked about the terms uh, uh, that older women should exhibit within the body of Christ. Help if I didn't keep dropping the the mouse on the ground. Um. And we talked about the, they, they should be sensible, uh, chaste, modest. Um, this author says a worker at home, kind. Um, so the next part of this is a kind of interesting because uh, it has to do, and it's, you know, uh, how do I say this? In 2023, this is a, is a terrible word in society, and the word is submission. And so, the the verse uh, verse five says, uh, verse five says, "Be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored." So, my question and question eight was, is submission a license uh, for the husband to always have his will? Boy, come on, speak up. (laughs) Well, it could be. What's that? It could be. Would would, Would that be what the Lord would have it be? Yeah, that's right. Uh, submission is not slavery. You know, what's interesting is, is as uh, way back when we were studying um, Ephesians and the role of a husband and a wife in a marriage uh, and a mom, uh, uh, I, I think sometimes, uh, Especially in our society today, where there are so few strong men, good leaders, uh, godly men, that that's how they look at it, you know. And you hear the term "the wife" like like it's a Chevy in the garage, and that you get in and put the key in it, turn it on, and drive it away. That's the mission is is that it should. Uh, be responsible every time. So, what's the purpose of submission? Notice he says in this verse, it's kind of interesting, he says, he goes through this list in verse 5, sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, comma, so that the word of God would not be dishonored. So that the word of God would not be dishonored. Uh, or maybe you could say it another way, respectively or reproachably spoken of. Well, you can only, only have one head, right? You can only have one head. Um, that's right. And I mean, I, I don't know if, uh, 
I, you know, we need a, a long discussion about this, but the roles of a husband and wife uh, are not, I mean, we, we look, seem to look at it from peace and harmony within the house. But here, uh, this letter to Titus is the reason their submission is it so that you won't dishonor uh, God's word. How would you dishonor God's word? By not being submissive if you were a wife? By being a, a, a slave driver if you were a husband? I mean, the, the point is this, that, that the Bible lays out a life. We're going to talk in, in, the, in the main service about grace. And, you know, the more I study grace, the more I realize that it is the one thing within Christianity that is so, we're so ignorant about. We don't really think it does what it's supposed to do. We think that it's, you know, uh, something that is a, more of a social grace than it is what God's grace is really all about. Grace is the greatest motivator there is. So if if a husband and a wife, a mom and a dad live in an environment of grace, then these elements of submission are not a problem. Donna? Well, I was thinking, too, about um, that sometimes we're the only Bible that a person ever sees. Yeah. Uh, and and people do observe your neighbors. They do. Your work, people you work with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They observe the good things about your life, and they also observe the um, inconsistencies of your life. Give you a good example. We have these neighbors across the street from us. Uh, they moved in about three, four years ago, and they're young, young compared to us. They're probably in their late 20s, maybe. And when they moved in, they had a brand new baby boy. And the mom used to walk him all the time, and we, that's how we had, got acquainted with her. And, you know, but about six months ago, she wasn't around anymore. And neither was a little boy. And now the, the guy is, we think he's living by himself. And the lights are on, uh, observing. The lights are on at all different hours. You hardly ever see them. We don't know what's going on, but obviously they've split. And so we're noticing, I'm sure others are noticing on the, uh, contrasted with that, if you have a uh, if you have a, a Bible based marriage, people notice that too. You know, I mean, I can, I can tell you, and and the neighbors that I know, the one on either either side of us, and the one that we're talking about there, and the one across the street, and the one next to them. So I'm talking about five different families. I can kind of tell you what they're all about, each one of them. And I, and not because I've 
I'm buddy buddies with any of them. I'm not, but just observing. You know, just observing stuff. Well, I think sometimes we don't know that people are watching us, like Donna says. And how we live is attractive to to some people because there's rest and peace and things that go on and, and harmony. And uh, we'd like the people across the street from us, there's harmony as long as they're smoking weed. <laughs> the little girl that they have, I don't, you know, this <laughs> is just the weirdest thing. So, um, so the purpose of submission is that the word of God would not be dishonored or spoken of negatively. In other words, uh, to borrow a, a phrase, if you talk the talk, then you should walk the walk. And the walk, <clears throat> how are you saved? Under what principle? Huh? Grace. Under grace. Should you live under grace? Should it be obvious that that's what you do? So, uh, okay. Now, unbeknownst to you guys, I added another question that's not on your sheet. And this, this is one that uh, you'll have to think about. This one's, it says, how, how is the word of God not dishonored in the Christian home? And I have seven things. The first one is, and Paul lists, lists seven things, and they are, first one was is to women are to love their husbands, to put their husbands' welfare before their own self-interests. That's how the word of God is not dishonored in your house. The second one is real simple, to love your children. And I think that goes for both the husband and the wife. Okay. The third one is to be sensible. In other words, controlled. The Bible uses self-controlled, but we know it isn't self that really controls us. It's the Spirit of God and grace. Um, to be pure. And this is an interesting one, number five, to be workers at home, uh, producers of orderliness in the home, 1 Timothy 5.14, not necessarily occupied exclusively with the household chores, but to keep a good house. Somebody look up... Uh, First Timothy five fourteen. See what it says. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. What do you guys think about uh, in two thousand twenty three? This whole idea of the wife and mom taking care of the house. 
that somehow has become not too cool to do that. What do you think? You moms, grandmoms. Is that something that's uh, valuable in terms of God's word? It's interesting that, that you know, God puts such uh, value in a, in a family unit. The, the, what do they call it? The nuclear family. The way it's structured is, is the basic building block of society. And if you destroy the family unit, you've destroyed the society you live in, which is what we're really trying hard to do in our society. You know, and we, we complain about the top and the middle, but where they, where we really, where we really have been attacked and where we're really weak is in the nu- nuclear family. That's the part. I mean, now they're talking about nobody even thinks about getting married anymore. You know, and you look at these athletes that got six kids from six different moms. And no one seems to think that you wonder, you know, why you have flash mobs and all this other nonsense that's going on. It's because the family isn't there. And you talk to, you, you listen to, uh, um, athletes that become very successful in what they do. They all came from decent homes. You know, how would you like to be a, a kid in Deion Sanders' home? I wouldn't mind it. It'd be great because he's disciplined and uh, he's a godly man. Um, when you when you look at a lot of those uh, people, there was one on, on a, there was, I was watching a football game yesterday. What, what was the team? Kentucky had this running back who, at 12 years old, both of his parents were in prison. So he was a ward of the state. And he threw, and his dad was a a drug user and so was his mom. And he, through some circumstances, became a believer. And then, uh, you know, his relationship with his dad grew his dad became a believer. And so when his dad got out of prison, his life was turned around. And this guy, this player, he's a player in college, but he's already really involved in helping other young young men, you know, that are in sim- similar. Well, what, what happened there? At least in that life, there was a recreation, at least partial, of the nuclear family. God's design, you know, okay. Uh, Be kind, be subject to their own husbands. Um, Because he is God's ordained authority over the family. So would you say a wife's first responsibility is to the home or to her husband? Interesting, Warren Wiersbe, who, who's 
used to be on back to the Bible. He says, a wife's first responsibility is to her home. The wise husband allows his wife to manage the affairs of the household because it's her ministry. When you think about that, I like that. He said, I assume Wiersbe meant that the home is the primary ministry, not necessarily her only ministry. <laughs> so, so uh, to finish up this lesson, I've, I've put some uh, contrast together. The worldview as opposed to God's view. The world's view is home is a boring drudgery. God's view, home is a, is a haven to come to from the world. The world system says homemaking and children are a burden. God's view is they are God's good gifts. The worldview is value, material success, and self-gratification now, right now, as much as you can. Should I tell them about your observation? <laughs> no. Uh, value character and godliness and invest in the future. We were really excited about how the Dragers, Dragers worked with their family and worked with the kids. That, you know, they were, they're Bible based. You know, when they spent the night at our house, Miles uh, read the Bible to his sons before they went to sleep. You know, so. Uh, the world says place children in, in, child care rather than caring for them yourself. God says parents should teach and fulfill their responsibilities to train their children. I think you see a lot of that in the Christian community today with homeschooling. The world says children, homemaking, and often marriage get in the way of God's view is raising godly children is one of the is one of the self achievement ways to fulfill God's purposes and is one of the highest callings in life. I've told you this before. Years and years ago, at uh, one of the Tuesday men's Bible group, when Miles Stanford was teaching it, uh, one of the guys there said. Uh, and, and, you know, Miles was one of those guys that didn't like to be complimented. But this guy spoke up and said, you know, Miles, when we all go to the beam of judgment, you're going to be one of the first guys in line. And Miles said, no, I'm, uh, <laughs> he said, no, brother, I'm not. He said, all the moms are going to be in the first row. And the reason was, is they did what God told them to do and wanted them to do, and that's all they did. And that made a huge difference. You know, so Miles, Miles Stanford, who, you know, in, in my mind is one of the great 
Christian men of the 20th century stepped behind the mothers. And he knew. And he and, he and Cornelia didn't have any children. But he knew about moms. Last one. Demand your rights to be to fulfillment. But God's view is give up your rights and become a servant to attain true happiness. I think that's true for everybody. So, that's the end of Lesson 6. So I'm going to start in on Lesson 7. So to do Lesson 7 like we've been doing, which I think is really a, a good way to do it. Lesson 7 will cover uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So that's what I want to do. Let's start off by reading Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Anybody who can read English is invited to go ahead and read it. All right, I'll go. Uh, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Cool. So Paul's not leaving anybody out here. And the first thing he's, he goes after is young men. What's the word he uses to describe the behavior of a young man? Right in front of you, I just read it. Be sensible. That's right, Russ. You get the gold star. <laughs> so, it's real brief when he talks about young men. Uh, but there's no better word than meaning self-control and, uh, and mastery of his, himself than, than this one word. Uh, it's sensible. Um, the word in Greek is S-O-P-H-R-O-N-E-I-N. And I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But really what it means is self-control. Um, again, it's it's one of those things that, especially for young men, control is important because they're full of life. Human life. Okay. Um, should we? Per the second question goes with the first. Should we anticipate maturity on the part of a young man, or should we just say, "Well, you know, he's just a young guy, acting like young guys act." If you should. Yeah. Uh, I wrote, since Paul anticipates maturity, 
on the part of young men, we can learn that there is nothing inherent in youth to block maturity. You know some young men that are mature. You know, we, we know a lot of crazy ones too. But there's a lot of young men that are, that are mature. And they should be. I'll tell you a boy that was mature that I, lately is, uh, uh, Miles' son Tim. He was really mature. 13 years old? 13 years old. And he was so interested in everything his dad was doing. And uh, his dad said one time we were talking about grammar and diagramming sentences, and he turned and he said, well, if you want to diagram a sentence, ask Tim. He knows how to do it. Thirteen years old. Um, in fact, those words teach that maturity is expected in Christian youth. I agree. One is mature when his actions are determined by the will of God rather than by the pressure of one's peers. And that, you know, that's interesting. You see in families today, young Christian families, there are, how do I say this? The family doesn't get sound teaching or the father and the mother um, don't get sound teaching. And so the kids really struggle with what a mature young man or young woman is supposed to be as opposed to what a, a mature young mo- man or woman should be in Christ. The, the maturity of a young person is based on their ability to understand God's grace. Agree with that? And if the parents know grace and teach grace and function under grace, then the kids will pick it up and they will understand. And so when they're confronted, confronted with some worldly decision, they at least will refer to God as to how they should make that decision rather than just making it. You know how kids are. They're spontaneous and they live in the now. And that's uh, when you when you listen to contemporary anthropologists that talk about how kids think today that they, everything is now. Well, that's, what that's the way their parents think. There's no future. There's nothing vast. Why do you think suicide... Is such a problem in society today is because if now is all there is and it's the pits, what does the future hold for me? Not much. It's just, you know, more of the same. It just gets worse. You see that? And so... How do you change that? How do you change that in a Christian? That's what we're talking about. In other words, if I wake up one day and I realize as a dad, my son isn't very spiritually mature, how do I change that? Through teaching, once you understand it. That's right. 
That's exactly right. And I think there's another element in here, too. Not only do you teach him, because that's your responsibility, but you trust God to do what God's going to do to put a sense of value in him about God's word and about what life is really about. And he does it... uh, um, he does it through the study of his word. You know, I think a dad primarily is a teacher. You know, not only for his wife, but also his kids. And not only a verbal teacher, but also an example teacher. Am I walking the walk? Do I really believe, do I really have reckon that what I know is true? And is that the way I function, you know? And I'm not talking about a perfect, 100% uh, conformed believer. There isn't such a guy. But there are um, maturing men. Uh, maybe I may put it that way. And uh, um, you find that young men do pay attention. You know, I've noticed with young men that kind of are loose, loosey-goosey as, as you look at the parents and you see why. Because they're loosey-goosey. You know. um, peer pressure is a huge thing. A huge thing. You know, the, the old, the, the, we talk about sinning. We not only if we sin, we not only like doing it ourselves, we want to get you engaged in it too. Because it makes us feel like it isn't so bad. So teenagers are masters at that. It's like these two kids, three, three kids that threw the rocks through the windshields six months ago or so. And then finally one night they did that and it killed a woman. And, mm-hmm. uh, you could tell at the, at the first hearing, that they didn't get it. They were just out having fun. You know, throwing 10-pound boulders through car windshields as they came by. You know. That's that's because the parents didn't teach them, you know, about that kind of thing. Of course, I (laughs) remember... When I was a kid growing up in Illinois, we used to throw snowballs at cars that went by until a guy stopped one day and ran us, and chased us and ran us down. <laughs> I never threw him one after that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's good. I think we should, we as older believers should anticipate maturity on the part of young believers, young men. We should see, we should anticipate that. We should think that that's what it should be. You know? Okay, how many do, oh, I got a couple minutes. Why did Paul address this to Titus? So let's talk about this for a minute. This is, this is actually kind of funny for us. If you were an old man or an old woman, at this time in history, how old were you? 
40 or 50. So uh, in that culture, if you were a 40-year-old man, you were considered old. Okay. Which means you started having kids probably when you were a teenager and started working and all of that. Um, and that the younger people would have been between 20 and 40, maybe even less than 20. And Titus was one of the young men. He was a young guy. He was in his 20s. So he wasn't an older man. He was a young guy, a young, mature man. So Paul addresses him personally that he and Timothy, who also was young, that they should be sensible and they should be mature. When you read when you read First Timothy, one of the things that Paul tells Timothy, don't let those old guys run you over. You know, because you're a young man and you're mature and, and uh, you know, God has put you in a position of authority. Use it. Don't let, don't let an older, immature man intimidate you. By old, older, he meant 40. You know. And older men sometimes, uh, you meet older guys that that, their whole life is based on intimidating people. And, you know, so. So that's the answer to the question. Why did Paul address Titus this way because Titus was a young man but then he says to Titus I want you to be an example to younger men why would he do that why would Paul say look Titus I exhort you to be an example to young men he says in verse 6 Urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignifying sound in speech, and on he goes. Why is he telling them to do that? What do young men often have? Huh? They often have heroes, don't they? Athletic heroes, uh, usually athletic heroes or neighborhood heroes or uh, military heroes, but they're, they're hero worshipers. I mean, you want an example? How about, who's that, who's that, uh, LeBron, LeBron James has been a hero worship. You know, one of the great things about Jokic in our society is that he's not, he's a mature man. He's only 22 or 3 years old. And he's, he's a mature young man. Um, but a lot of these athletes, you know, they're, they, they never had good examples to follow and they're not very mature. They, they can play basketball really well, but they're not mature. Uh, we looked at uh, Tim Tebow as a guy who was a, a mature young man. And with some people he was a hero, others he weren't. How about this 
uh, what's her name? Who's the singer, the woman that's uh, tall and skinny? And she's hanging out with a guy from Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, yeah. I think so. Huh? She's a cult hero. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Is she, does she fit this pattern? We don't know enough about her, I don't think. But the point is, is that if, uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, this is an incredible verse. He says, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. So who does Paul look to for the mature example in his life? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows that, that as he grows spiritually, people watch him. So you can never forget, no matter how old you are, if you walk with the Lord, that people pay attention to what you're doing and who you are. And, um, you know, I used to go, Miles hated this every once in a while. I'd say to him, Miles, you're my hero. Hmm. He'd tell me to be quiet. <laughs> hmm. hey, we're done. For today, so we'll pick up uh, uh, probably question four next time and go on from there. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this time to spend in your word. We thank you how practical your word is uh, in terms of how a community of believers functions as parents and as leaders, and uh, and it's all about raising a family uh, or the body of Christ to a mature stature that people would know that there's so many things about believers in terms of their relationship one with another and especially with relationship with you, Lord Jesus, that is admirable and can be identified as such. So we thank you, Father. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.